0: Courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported
1: by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to morningstarbooksandgifts.com. That's morningstarbooksandgifts.com. Then click on the art and decorative link and click on icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loja, your host. Thank you for listening in. And if you ever want to contact us, share some remarks with us, you can email us at our website, byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. You know, we're kind of in an interesting little period right now. Pretty soon, there'll be the beginnings of the Christmas season, And before that, of course, the Advent season, or as we call it in the Byzantine Catholic Church, the Phillips Fast, the penitential period leading up to Christmas. But we're not there yet, so I don't want to rush it, because time is going fast enough. But we're just before that time, and the summer has ended, and we're kind of back to school. And so maybe it's time today in this program to kind of go back to school a little bit, and refresh, or even renew, or answer for the first time, for many of you, questions that come up commonly. Whenever I'm in audiences or talking with people, people ask me, especially those who are not Eastern Catholic, they ask me these particular questions. So I'm going to entertain some of those questions today, kind of like classes in session here a little bit today. We'll think of it that way. And these are some basic questions, questions that are often asked, but they do give us a platform for elucidating, again, the riches of the Eastern churches. So I do appreciate the questions. And so, first of all, the most basic question is, this is one of those where I have to stop and take a deep breath and say, okay, how do I put an ocean into a thimble for this person? And here's the question. So, Father Tom, what is the difference between the Byzantine Church and the Roman Catholic Church? That's one, like I told you, I have to <laughs> take a deep breath and ask myself, how do I put an ocean of wisdom, of history, of depth into a seemingly a thimble to answer this person? Because basically there is not one little difference, or one main difference it all comes down to. But the closest I can come would be this. It's basically a difference of emphasis, of, in a sense, worldview. You see, there's primarily an Eastern worldview and a Western worldview, and this goes even beyond the church. In fact, we're seeing a clash of that in our world today. A lot of the war on terrorism and tensions between the Middle East and the Western world is really at its base. It's a kind of a clash of worldviews. We tend to emphasize and see things differently. Now, these worldviews ought to be kind of like man and woman, complementary East and West. But sometimes they are, but unfortunately, so often they're not. So if you can think of it that way, it's basically a matter of emphasis or worldview. In other words, the way we see things, what's important to us, what strikes us, what we want to express in the Eastern churches— might be a little bit different than what is emphasized or expressed in the Western church. Now, you put the two together, you get the completion. Now, remember, this is not a difference of belief. It's a difference of of emphasis, like what is highlighted. And when we take that difference, we then apply it to every aspect of our respective churches. So, therefore, yes, you get down to some of the obvious details that are different. Like, for instance... We in the Eastern churches do the sign of the cross differently than the Western churches. You know, some of those very obvious differences, those are the ones that people often ask about because they're the most obvious ones. But the real difference, if you want to talk about it in terms of one difference, it comes down to a fundamental emphasis or, in a sense, worldview. In other words, how the East approaches something, how the West approaches something. So there isn't any one difference you can point to on a very surface level The difference goes much deeper. But remember, the difference is complementary. Is that a difference in terms of adversarial roles or that we don't believe the same thing? It's different in the same way that man and woman are both human, but they experience that humanness through a fundamentally feminine experience or a fundamentally masculine experience. And of course, you know that is supposed to be complementary. Complementary by its nature. So the church is very much like that. Think of it as almost like a marriage, or the human race—human, but yet experiences man and woman, or as a marriage, man and woman individuals. Yet they become one. Yet they always remain man and woman, always remain individuals. So it's kind of a mystery. The Church is a mystery. So that's the answer to that question. And another one then is, and sometimes this is asked of me personally. They say, "Well, when did you become a Byzantine Catholic?" Now. Sometimes I think in this question, it sometimes puzzles me, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm asked this. I'm asked this often, and I think the reason might be is because there is maybe a presumption that everyone starts out as Latin Rite Catholic, which is the more precise term for Roman Catholic. In other words, the Latin Rite, in other words, a Catholic of one of the Western Rites, or the Western lung of the Church, and that if you want to, you can go into these other kinds of expressions, such as the Eastern Rites. But actually, to make the answer really simple is, I kind of answer a question with a question. I ask that person, well, were you born and raised a Latin Rite Catholic? And they'll say yes, oftentimes. So I then say, well, I too was born and raised a Byzantine Catholic. So the rites of the church are things that anyone can be born and raised in, whether it's Latin Rite or the Eastern Rites. Now, we could also choose those rites as well. You can choose them by what's called a canonical change of rite. That's where you actually formally change your rite. For instance, if you're a Byzantine rite person and you want to become a Latin rite person, that can actually be done through a formal process, a formal canonical process, or vice versa. But people are born and raised in the Eastern rites just as they're born and raised in the Western rites, such as the Latin rite. In the Western lung of the church, by the way, there were actually several rites. Not as many as in the East, but there were several, but One of them really predominates today. For all practical purposes, there is one rite in the Western Church, and that is the Latin rite. So whenever we talk about the Roman Catholic Church, it's oftentimes very helpful to specify when you say Roman Catholic Church, do you mean the Latin rite of the Roman Catholic Church, or do you mean the Byzantine rite of the Roman Catholic Church? In other words, we're all in union with the Pope of Rome. We're all part of what we call the Catholic Church, but there are some Eastern expressions of that and some Western. The most notable, of course, in the West is the Latin Rite. So a lot of times I'll ask people, not are you Roman Catholic per se, but are you Latin Rite? It actually makes it a little more specific. And I hope that makes my answers a little more clear. Now, related to that question is sometimes people will say, well, how does somebody join the Byzantine Church? Well, as I mentioned before, there's two ways you can do it. First of all, You're free to worship in any Eastern or Western Catholic church. In other words, any rite within a Catholic church, any Catholic can worship in. Now, primarily, you're expected to worship and practice in the rite that you are in. In other words, born and raised in, or you've chosen, or you're married into. For instance, if you're Latin rite, then you practice the Latin rite. If you're Byzantine, you practice the Byzantine rite. However, we can go to each other's churches, and there are occasions or reasons why For instance, a Byzantine family might gravitate to and basically practice most of their faith in the Latin Rite, at a Latin Rite parish, for instance, or vice versa. There are Latin Rite Catholics who might practice, for all intents and purposes, their faith in the Byzantine church, although they still remain Latin Rite, just as the Byzantine person remains Byzantine Rite, even though they may frequent a Latin Rite church. So we are free to do that. Ideally, you stay and support your own church, but there may be reasons why a number of reasons why you may find that your practice is in the other rite, even though you are still the rite of your origin. Now, the second thing is you can at the same time change your rite. And I mentioned that before. You can make a canonical formal change of rite, which is a rather simple canonical procedure in which a person appeals to the bishops. The bishops actually confer among themselves and they grant that rite for someone to move from the Byzantine Rite to the Latin Rite or vice versa, or actually any of their rites within the Catholic Church. So you don't have to join, canonically per se, officially, a Byzantine Church to be able to attend that church. And it, yes, it will satisfy your obligation on Sunday, your Sunday obligation, or vice versa. You don't have to be a Latin Rite Catholic to attend a Latin Rite parish. In fact, there are a number of people who basically... Practice in one rite or the other, even though they might never formally change. They always remain the rite of their origin. For instance, I have in my own parish, and it's rather common in Byzantine parishes in America, to have Latin rite families who are canonically Latin rite, but for all intents and purposes, they basically are members of the Byzantine parish. In other words, they go there and they raise their families in the Byzantine rite, even though they may not formally be Byzantine. Now, where this comes into play, is when we come to things like weddings or the sacraments, weddings and especially ordinations. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're being raised in the Byzantine rite, but you are what we call canonically Roman rite or Latin rite, rather, and a boy grows up and he wants to become a priest. So he eventually goes off to the seminary. And this has happened in a number of cases. While in the seminary, he, of course, is asked to give his baptismal record and confirmation and so on. And oftentimes, or at times, it's happened where that seminarian may find out then and there that he is actually Latin Rite or Byzantine Rite. In other words, let's say he was raised Byzantine Rite, we find out that actually he was Latin Rite canonically. In other words, his family never made a formal change of Rite. Now, that would be an important factor because the Byzantine church then would no longer have jurisdiction on him in terms of ordination. He would have to go through a formal change of rite in order to become a Byzantine rite priest. Now, something similar, only not quite as complicated, it happens in marriages too. You have a Byzantine boy, Byzantine young man, who's going to marry a Latin rite girl. And they're going to have the wedding in the bride's church. Well, there you would need a special dispensation, which again is not complex, for the wedding to take place in the rite of the bride. We call that permission for the marriage being the right of the bride, because in the canon law of the Byzantine Church, the wedding would take place in the right of the father. But if the couple wants it to be in the Latin rite, it can be go through the process of being granted the permission, which again is not complicated, and usually that permission is is granted. So hopefully again, again, it sounds a little complex, but hopefully I try to make it a little bit simpler. The bottom line is we can worship in each other's churches, we're expected to worship in our church of the right that we are in, and there can be at the same time a canonical change of right. We're going to talk more about these often asked questions as we sort of go back to school at this time when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East.
1: Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ, Father Thomas
1: Loya invites you to a special evening with the choir of the Byzantine Catholic Seminary of Presov, Slovakia at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. On Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m., the choir will sing a concert of sacred music in Church Slavonic. Hear the music of this great sacred tradition with the Choir of the Byzantine Catholic Seminary of Preshov, Slovakia, Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m. at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Willcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, with free will offering. For complete details, click on the events link at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East.
0: I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers.
1: That's why I go for that rock and roll music. Yo, Father Loya wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the Trivia Contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that drill, cream. And head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com, ByzantineCatholic.com for a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November
0: Number 12. Going back to school now that most of the students are back in school during this autumn season and kind of anticipation before we sort of kick it up again as we move into the preparation for the Christmas season. And I hate to say that already in a sense because time is just going too fast. I mean, it's a wonderful season, but I'd like time to go a little bit slower. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it goes too fast. But... Before we hit another high holy season again, moving into Christmas, we're going back to school and looking at some often asked questions. Simple questions, but ones that give us a kind of a platform to, again, explain the Eastern churches. Now, oftentimes I'm asked, what about satisfying our Sunday obligation? If I'm a Latin Rite Catholic and I go to a Byzantine church, an Eastern Rite church on Sunday, does that satisfy my obligation? The answer would be, yes, it does. And Vice versa. Now, again, I want to emphasize that in the church, whatever rite you are, the church expects and presumes that you'll practice in that rite. But it doesn't preclude you from attending the liturgies of the other rites. And if you do, yes, you have satisfied your obligation. However, on that note, though, and again, here we have a chance by this question to elucidate something about the Eastern churches. The Eastern churches, as a rule, do not use the word or the phrase, obligation. I mean, we do to an extent. It's kind of handy in a certain way, especially in the Western world in America, and we hear it oftentimes from our Latin Rite brethren. But basically, the Eastern spirituality doesn't look at going to church or define in terms of obligation. Now, There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the Eastern approach is a little different. It tends to just expect that you'll be at church to pray the divine office, especially on the weekend, which for us encompasses the Vespers evening service, the morning prayer, which is matins, and liturgy. Those are the three principal services, especially of the weekend. They're done every day, but of the weekend in a parish that basically make up what we call the divine services or the divine office. And it's just expected that you'll attend all or at least some of them or most of them in the Eastern Church. It's sort of a presumption of expectation. The same is true when it comes to holy days or feast days. We generally don't ask, is it a feast day of obligation. In other words, we have to go to church on that feast day, or can we kind of let it slide, or it's not obligatory. We generally don't speak in those terms, although we do have classifications that are where some feasts are greater than others, some are more solemn than others. That, of course, is very reasonable, such as, you know, Christmas Day is obviously going to be very much more solemn than some of the lesser feast days, say, for instance, of an individual saint. But there's a presumption in the Eastern churches that if there is an observance of a saint or feast day, whether it's a very, very major one or just a simple saint, that people go to church. Again, there is an emphasis that there are some that are of greater solemnity than the others. But by and large, we don't use the word obligation. and Maybe we would replace that word with the word Presumption. (laughs) We presume that you'll be there because of your love for God and the church and the right thing to do and your love for this saint or this feast day that we're celebrating. So that gives you a little bit of insight into that. But bottom line is yes, if you are Latin Rite Catholic, you go to an Eastern Rite liturgy on Sunday, it will satisfy your obligation. Now, in terms of going to a church and attending the liturgy, the next question oftentimes is well, can I receive Holy Communion at your church? And again, the answer is yes. Now, in the Eastern churches, you might experience Holy Communion, again, a little bit different way. For instance, in the Byzantine church, a lot of Eastern churches, Holy Communion is done in both species, in other words, bread and wine. And most of the time, that bread is what we call a bread. In other words, it's made from a loaf, like a regular loaf of bread you know, that has risen, you know, has yeast in it. It's very simple, just flour, water, and yeast. But it is a leavened bread and is prepared in a special ceremony, a special rite of preparation on a table that is to the side of the main altar in the sanctuary. And this bread then is brought together with the wine and the water in a solemn procession called the Great Entrance. It's brought around through the people in a procession and then up and then placed on top of the altar to be consecrated, become the body and blood of Christ. Now, once that is consecrated, when it comes time to distribute Holy Communion, what happens is the priest or deacon takes the bread, which has been cut into particles, and they're consecrated, and he places them carefully and prayerfully, reverently, into the chalice, which now has the wine, which is now consecrated, becomes the blood of Christ. And when we approach for Holy Communion in many Eastern churches, you approach by coming forward, standing. And all you do is, I call it this, you open your mouth like a little baby bird waiting to be fed. Just open your mouth widely, and the priest or deacon takes a spoon, and he puts it into the chalice and then picks up a piece of the consecrated bread, which has been, of course, now immersed in the consecrated wine. And he simply does this. He mentions your name, so you can whisper your name to them as you approach if he doesn't know you, and he says this, the servant of God, Joe partakes of the precious, most holy body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, for the mission of his sins and for life everlasting. Amen. So he says that for every communicant, especially if he knows your name. So what you'll do then, if you're a Latin-Rite Catholic, you'll approach Holy Communion and keep it simple. Remember, like a little bird opening your mouth. So you don't extend your tongue, you don't say amen, you don't have to do the sign of the cross, and you cannot have communion in the hand. I think, as you can see, for obvious reasons, because the bread is soaked in the wine, and you couldn't, couldn't hold that in your hand, obviously. Now, centuries ago, in both the East and the Western churches, we did have communion, so-called communion in the hand, even for the laity, as well as drinking from the chalice, as sometimes is done today in the Latin rite. In the Byzantine rite, though, this custom is preserved only by the clergy. In other words, the deacons, priest, or bishop at the altar only receive the body of Christ in their hand, and they drink, partake of the precious blood from the chalice. Again, this used to be done centuries ago by everyone in both the East and the West. But over time, both the East and the West had to come up with their own particular ways to kind of control that a bit. And this happened whenever Christianity became the religion of the masses. In other words, many, many people were converted to Christianity. And anytime you have increased numbers, it's a good thing. But at the same time, it also bears with it the possibility for getting kind of sloppy as it were or for abuses and so the east and the west both had to come up with a way in which to distribute communion would preserve the sanctity of the eucharist so the east came up with a way of doing this instead of putting it in people's hands letting them drink from the chalice they would reserve that to the ordained clergy but for the laity they would simply have them come forward open their mouths like a little bird and then drop the Holy Communion in their mouth. And I emphasize, drop it into your mouth. Because sometimes when I describe this way of going to communion in the Eastern churches, people get a little horrified, like, oh my goodness, this spoon's gonna touch my mouth and it touched somebody else's mouth. No, it doesn't touch the mouth. Ideally, the Eucharist is dropped into your mouth from that spoon. Now, you will also notice in the Eastern churches when it comes time for holy communion, that you'll see little babies receiving communion. You might wonder what's going on here. In the Eastern churches, the three sacraments, that initiate us into the church, baptism, chrismation, and Holy Communion, are given at the same time. In other words, in a a sequence, regardless of the age of the person. In other words, if you're a baby and you're baptized, you are then confirmed, we call it chrismation, and after you're baptized and confirmed, those two sacraments are then brought to their fullness, their completion in the Eucharist, by receiving the Eucharist. So the little baby will receive the Eucharist. Or if it's an adult, the same thing. The adult will be baptized, confirmed, chrismated, and then receive Holy Communion. So age is not a factor. What is important in the Eastern churches is the sequence of the sacraments. That if a person is baptized, that is then in a sense sealed by receiving the Eucharist. Now for little babies, because they can't necessarily take the consecrated bread, we give them either a very, very tiny particle of the bread Or the priest or deacon will simply just give them the consecrated wine, which, of course, has had the bread uh, in it as well. So when we approach the sacrament of Holy Communion in a liturgy in many Eastern churches, you'll notice these little differences. You notice, once again, and I have to keep emphasizing that it's a matter of emphasis. (laughs) We emphasize certain aspects. And the Latin Rite, again, if you go back long ago, both the Latin Rite, the Western churches, and the Eastern churches, both gave communion in the hand and people drank from the chalice as i mentioned and they gave it to everyone regardless of age it was later on over time that then the traditions began to differ with the latin rite delayed confirmation and eucharist but the eastern churches did not now the sacrament of confession however is done at the same time in both churches east and west in other words our children learn and participate for the first time in the sacrament of confession at around the age of seven or eight, traditionally the so-called age of reason. So that is still very common to both the East and the Western churches of the Catholic Church. Those are just a few commonly asked questions. There are more. We'll be covering those in subsequent programs. So hope you'll keep listening to us. I want to thank you for listening to us today. I'm Father Thomas Loy on Light of the East.